Can big data change banking as we know it? This is Industry Focus. Welcome to Industry Focus Financials Edition. I'm your host, Christine Hargis. And as usual, I've got the Motley Fool's Senior Banking Specialist, John Maxfield, on the line. And we have got big data on our minds this week. We produce more data than we even know what to do with nowadays, and this rate is speeding up exponentially. I mean, you look at some of the stats, and it's absolutely insane just how much information we're producing. YouTube users upload 72 hours of new video every single minute of the day. Twitter users tweet 277,000 times in a minute. Facebook users share something like two and a half million pieces of content every single minute. It's insane. And so the amount of data that every single one of us produces clearly is just mind-boggling. And so the question becomes, what do we do with it all? Businesses of all types are giving thought to this question and trying to stay ahead of the big data game. But since this is industry-focused financials, after all, I bet you savvy, savvy listeners know exactly where I'm going with this. We're going to discuss today what big data can do for the banking industry and just how much of an impact new initiatives are going to have. However, before we even get to the financial side of the topic, let's just start high level. John, what even is big data and what makes it different from just regular size data that businesses have been using to drive decisions for years and years? So that's a great question. So if you you listen to a lot of people um, kind of in the the fintech industry um, who don't come, uh, don't bring a background in financial services or or banking um, to the practice, one of the things that you'll pick up is that they think there's this perception that you know, now these, you know, these companies, there's this opportunity to use all this data, whereas before there wasn't. Well, there's always, of course, been an opportunity to have data, I mean, to use data to make decisions in your, in your business. But the difference now, <laughs> to your point, is both the quantity of data that is being produced, the multiple sources through which it's being produced, the power of uh, econometric models to analyze that data before, you know, our regression models allowed you to look at and isolate, say, a half a dozen variables, whereas the models that statisticians have come up with today allow companies to analyze 100 variables, 150 variables, 200 variables, so a very large amount of data. Um, And the final thing is that you have computing power now that is strong enough to take all of these inputs, throw it into a model, and then uh, organize it in a way that banks or any type of company, Amazon, Netflix, Pandora, can use it to make predictions about what their customers will want. And it's those factors that kind of um, make big data big data as opposed to what was, what was used to be just data. So the opportunity clearly is just huge. And there are a number of different ways that banks are leveraging all of this information to try and improve their businesses. When I first gave the topic some thought and we decided that this was going to be our episode today, the first thing that came to my mind was whether or not big data could help banks analyze credit risk. And like you would think that having a more complete understanding of a person's financial situation from you know all the, the different data that they produce – um, maybe even like something like personality aspects implied from social media behavior. Could this help lenders better assess risk when making loans? John, what do you think? Is this an area with promise? Well, that's the theory. That's certainly the theory. And there are businesses that are being built upon that theory. Zest Finance is a perfect example. LendUp is another, another example of this. 
So if you look at a bank, you know, you go to a bank, you get a mortgage, there's only a really a handful of variables that they're going to look at to determine whether you're, you're a worthy credit risk or not. They're going to look at your income statement, your balance sheet, you know, how long you've been employed, how old you are, uh, you know, the, all these various things and to decide whether or not they think that if they loan you money that you'll pay it back. Well, these startup companies are saying, look, there is all of this other data that we think is correlated with a person's creditworthiness. And some of this data can be extracted from your interactions on social, on social networks like Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, um, whatever else. And these companies are building models based entirely on that. So you have a company like LendUp. So they're a data-driven company, and they're building credit models based upon how your behaviors on these social networks, but they're limiting the amount of loans, uh, the size of the loan that they're making to an individual customer to something like $250. So they're, they're kind of, while it's clear that they think there's an opportunity here, they're certainly not going whole hog and lending on a house based simply on the fact that you've posted, say, I don't know, seven pictures of a calculator, right, over the past <laughs> week on your Instagram account. I wonder if you could ever come to manipulate that. Like, hmm, I, I'm going to be taking out a loan soon. Let me tweet lots of math things. Yeah, or, or just talk about how responsible you are all the time. I mean, <laughs> yeah, exactly. perhaps that would work. Yeah, maybe we should try it. Just busy getting my normal dental checkup. <laughs> <laughs> well, Just paying my bills on time a little bit early again this month. Be right back. Uh, so you would think that those models should be more profitable. Um, what about let, let's take this into the the marketing side of things? Can you can you talk a little bit about how we might be able to leverage this sort of data to better market to people? Right. So marketing marketing is really the big opportunity with banks. So you look at you look at let's say uh, well let's, let me just talk more generally. The theory over the past since probably the past eighty years has been that a financial company the way they will maximize their profitability is to sell a whole bunch of products, different financial products, over a single umbrella. So insurance, um, checking accounts, savings accounts, CDs, investment products, um, asset management stuff, all, all these different things. And the theory is that if, you know, mortgages, if you can get people in to a checking account, then you can sell them a mortgage, you can sell them a credit card, you can sell them you know, a savings account and a, you know, another maybe checking account, maybe a sa- savings account for their kids to go to college. And the more of those products you build up, um, the more profitable that bank will be. Well, one of the issues is that in, what they found is that in these huge organizations like Wells Fargo that has over 90 individual businesses, is that the data that was created in each of these businesses was not being shared with the other divisions. So just merely by putting all of that data together and creating a composite sketch of your customer, you can know all these different things, all these different financial products that they have, and you can also know the financial products that they don't have, and then you can look at, particularly if you're that customer's primary bank, you can go into their transaction history in their checking account and determine what their needs are and whether if you have products that you offer um, that could help them with those needs, um, then you could send that information to, say, one of your call centers that would make those making outbound marketing calls and then target those people really, really carefully and increase your, what's, what's known as your conversion rate. And just to give you an, an example of, of how effective this is, U.S. Bank Corps, which I've talked about many times in the past, one of the best-run banks in the country, 
they have used this to increase what's called what's what's known as their lead conversion by a factor of two. So let's say um, the U.S. Bank Corp draws up a list of people to call to try to sell mortgages to. Right? Let's say there's a hundred people that they call. Well, previously, under the, the, the system that they used to draw up this list, maybe 10% of those people would, would agree to a mortgage. Well, now with a more narrowly tailored, with using this information to drop a more narrowly tailored list, they're getting, say, 20% um, of those people to sign up for a mortgage. So it's a huge opportunity for banks. Yeah, that's insane, a, a doubling. And I, I mean, it makes sense if you're giving people what they want. You know, you, uh, People are hearing fewer offers that they don't want and more that they do. So theoretically, you should be improving the customer experience here, too, and hopefully improving your retention because of that. That's exactly right. And another really interesting um, thing that these, these banks and these financial services companies are going after is, call, is something called card-linked marketing. Okay, so let's say that you have a credit card and that you shop at Lululemon and uh, Starbucks all the time, right? Well, your bank can go in and see that, and then they can give you, they can shoot you on your mobile device, or theoretically, they're still in the process of developing all of this, they can then shoot you individualized offers for the merchants that you frequent uh, most often. And the so let's say that you go to Starbucks all the time. Well, and let's and then your bank can see that and they see that oh we have all these customers that go to Starbucks all the time. Well, why don't we approach Starbucks and try to get some sort of um, uh, rewards deal going with them to where if you buy say five lattes on your Bank America card um, every week, you'll get a sixth one for free. And so they can tailor that really specifically to you. And the thought process in doing so from the bank's perspective is that if they can increase um, or, or if they can more narrowly tailor the rewards programs for each and every one of their customers, that will increase the amount of credit card transactions that those customers um, uh, undergo. And by doing that, you will increase the amount of money that the bank earns, both in interchange fees and if their, if their customers carry balances in interest income. Do you think geographically based data could also come into picture here? That's a big part of the conversation. So they're saying, like, look, you have these phones, and you know how you can you can opt in. You know, you'll you'll download a new app, and you can and they'll generally ask you, can we use your geo, your geolocational data to to send you offers? Well, if banks are talking about basically um, combining that with this card linked marketing to say, let's say you're walking around in Old Town Alexandria, you're walking by that Chipotle and they know and your bank knows that you've charged maybe on average three times you buy lunch at Chipotle maybe three times a month. Well, if it knows that you're walking by that Chipotle, it can then shoot you an offer to that Chipotle and if it's around lunchtime and it knows you like it, it can shoot you that offer and that can maybe steer you into Chipotle to then make a purchase. Um, and so this is something that's still really in its in, 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 at the beginning but it's something that that is at the forefront of of, of uh, these banks' minds. That's crazy. Do you think there's uh, any sort of opportunity here for um, for uh, safety? You know, like uh, if your credit card is getting stolen or something like that. You know, monitoring your sort of personal trends to see if anything looks potentially fraudulent. Yeah, there is. That's that's exactly right. So let's say that you are. Well, this is one of the examples that I that I came across of this. Let's say that you're at a conference in New York. So you live in Washington D.C. You're at a conference in New York City, right? And you're tweeting, "Oh, this conference is so awesome! New York City is so sweet! I love the Big Apple!" Blah 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 blah. 
but let's say you have a secondary credit card, right, that you don't use very often, so they don't have a lot of transaction data to determine whether a specific transaction is out of the ordinary for you or not. And that transaction occurs in Los Angeles at the exact same time that you're tweeting about being in New York. Well, if a bank was following or had some sort of model that could follow your social, your social, your activity on your social network, and it could say, oh, we know that Christine is in New York right now at this healthcare financial conference, but her credit card is being used in Los Angeles, so we know for sure that that is not Christine using her credit card. Let's shut that off and, 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 and then contact Christine and, and, and go through the process from there. But the other side of that, you know, to your point you made earlier about the customer experience, let's say you're traveling in Europe right? And you didn't tell your bank ahead of time that you're going to Europe and you had never been to Europe before. So your credit cards, your company starts seeing all these unusual charges in Europe on your card. Well, it could easily think that your card had been stolen and was being used abroad when you're just staying at home. But if you're over there tweeting or posting on Facebook that you are in Europe and your bank or your credit card company knows that, well, it will then have no incentive or it would then not be as concerned about shutting your credit card off and leaving you with no money abroad. That's known as a false positive. And that's another great way that banks can look at all this data that's created external to the organization that relates to their customers to improve the customer experience. Wow. So um, there's no question that big data will come to shape the future of the banking industry, but it remains to be seen just how much of an impact it will have. I mean, I, for one, can absolutely imagine within the next decade, like walking around some new city and having my phone buzz with a location-based offer from that Chipotle that I'm passing or, you know, an instantaneous shutdown of some stolen credit card, like you mentioned, like the very first time it's fraudulently used or any of the other scenarios that we've discussed today. And I actually kind of get the impression that some of the industry landscape will be fundamentally different in ways that we haven't even imagined. John, thanks so much for sharing your insights with us today. And folks listening, thanks so much for tuning in. Until next time, have a great one, everybody. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. 